Hey everybody, welcome back to the Sopranos podcast. We are here for episode 7, Genetics. You know, you're a real stone player, aren't you, Ma? You threatened to smother his children. You know, everybody thought Dad was the ruthless one, but I gotta hand it to you. If you'd have been born after those feminists, you would have been the real gangster. That was a quote from Tony Soprano to Livia Soprano in the climax of this amazing episode. The episode, of course, is season one, episode seven of The Sopranos, Down Neck, written by Mitchell Burgess and Robin Green, directed by Lorraine Senna. Boys, what an hour of television this was. Uh, I am going to throw this out there. As far as I'm concerned, this is the Sopranos version of Godfather 2. This is, uh, we're getting parallel kind of stories, a father and a son at at almost about the same time in their life. And what a crazy uh, episode it was. Let's go around the table here. You know how we do. Paul, initial reaction to Down Neck. Uh like a lot of these episodes, they're all different in interesting and subtle, but important ways. And this episode has Tony very much on the domestic front. Interestingly, in this episode that is essentially about the question of Tony's gangsterism, there's not a ton of gangster stuff. Mm. Not currently. There's little bits here at a construction site. The conversation with Silvio and Big Pussy is about being a gangster dad. Mm. And those domestic concerns will consume Tony's attention, mm. and some other things, pretty important things, will escape his his attention. To that point, Paul, there's a lot of episodes of The Sopranos where business is heating up, and many things happen, and Tony is trying to live life at home, but business keeps kind of pulling him away. Mm. This is kind of the opposite, where he is his attention's been pulled by a, a crisis at home, and... You know, he doesn't really have as much time or patience for the gangster stuff. Jordan. In Down Neck, what's past is prologue. We're examining what has brought our characters here, not just circumstance-wise, but just generationally. You know, is uh, the evil and the manipulation and the corruption, is that something that you choose or is it something you're born into? We're starting to get back to these essential questions of fate versus free will, if things are in the blood or in the mind. This episode asks a lot of really big questions, and as only film can do, shows us some hints at what some answers could be. It's so good. These these flashback sequences, we're going to get into it in detail, but these flashback sequences are so good. Minute one, what struck me about the flashbacks are how good the actors are. Like, they nailed Junior and Livia. This is the first time we're meeting Johnny Boy. Yeah. Goodness gracious, these flashbacks are charming and, and and disconcerting and fun and horrible. They're so charming. I think they're actually lightly overacted. Mm. Uh, I think that's on purpose. I think they're like purposefully like too colorful, too musical. Uh, all the actors do a great job at sort of lightly overacting the characters. I think, as legitimate as this, as this might be, I think this is very much a memory play. Mm. Uh in so much as like maybe even like a Tennessee Williams memory play might be where Tony is kind of living them live within therapy and we are seeing them through the lens of his being a small child at this point. What I'm saying is if this tale had a different teller, uh, it might look a little bit different, but the past has this kind of a brightness that I I think is, is great. It's great to watch. And, you know, years later, I remembered Down Neck for these 1967 flashbacks and really looking forward to them, so obviously this stuck with me. There's so many Sopranos fans who feel like 
God, if there were a, a, a series just about this era of the Sopranos universe, they'd love it. And, yeah. I mean, that, that that's probably why if David Chase was going to do one more thing on the Sopranos universe, it would be The Many Saints of Newark, which is kind of set in the mm-hmm. late 60s, I think, um, you know, Sopranos characters. So we're going to get more of that, which is kind of exciting in a way. But It's very exciting. I'm really interested to see what they do with it. And yeah. it comes from this. I think this episode sort of planted the seed of what that could be. Yeah, I mean, we do get some other um, episodes in the series that kind of flash back to Tony's childhood, but this is definitely the one where we linger the most and see and kind of get the most out of uh, Tony's childhood. It's um, some of the most dramatic um, in that respect. Uh, I think Tony says in the pilot, my father never reached the heights like me, but in a way he had it better. He had his people. This is that heyday. The guy that he beats the shit out of still... Mm reconciles with his power and and his and his wit um and that there's a band uh the rascals i think a jersey band that sings uh i've been lonely so long on the ed sullivan show in one of the flashbacks and as the, as you guys mentioned the charm the, these are rascally guys particularly johnny boy he's fun loving he's dynamic he's interesting he's um he's joyous even he brings ice cream home for the kids after making bail. Um, he's very uh, yeah. Then there's something to Jordan's point about it being just just a touch with the with the injection of the, the the delight and the playfulness. It has some tall taleness to it. There's almost like a folk hero status that they lend to Johnny Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just I think that's that's definitely intentional. Um, and is it related to there's I, there's notes that I have here that aren't even thoughts it's just oh my god this scene livia i know um at the dinner so funny and one of her lines is you only remember what you want to remember um now consider the source first of all (laughs) but it doesn't mean she's wrong she's broken clock might be right twice a day everybody is going to misremember and to some degree lie to themselves and that will make gleaning something out of these memories hard that said I think part of why this episode, for me, has a bit of a bleak sensibility is that it can be painful to look at some of these issues in an honest way, mm. to wrestle with your past, to wrestle with the ways in which your your family has been, perhaps still is, dysfunctional. But we get it right away early on, I think, when Tony picks Christopher up at the construction site. There's kind of this ugly look of them just having dug up this this ground and all this, there's like dirt and cement everywhere. And I was like, well, that's where we're going. This episode, we're going to dig. Mm. We're going to go into mm. the past. We're going to start to question a lot of resentments and ideas, perhaps reflecting on that quote that we had in the last episode about what psychiatry points us towards your real agenda. Tony digs with Carmela about what she might blame him for. That That's painful. It doesn't go well. And th- that lends this quality to this episode where it's very different um again than other episodes we're going deeper into way deeper into flashbacks it starts off sort of playful little snips of the memory of the college trip which again presents that are these memories painful to get into have you buried them obfuscated them but we're going for them so Mm -hmm. well we're gonna dig into that pretty deep why don't we um because this is kind of uh this isn't an episode with many subplots. This is one of the rare Sopranos episodes that says, like, we get our story going, and then this is, we're, we're just kind of following the thread, right? So we start off with AJ stealing the sacramental wine uh, in the, at the very top and getting drunk and getting busted in gym class. Very funny stuff. 
childish stuff. But it does carry a touch more gravity to it, as I was... Is it fun? It's a violation of our sacristy. Oh, it's a... Very <laughs> it's serious a, offense. It's an affront to our holy sacristy. Yes. Of course, yeah, no. <laughs> oh, God, these... these I, I, I have no bias for Catholic people that are decent, but man, the way this show portrays their, like, super Catholic characters... I One of my notes is like, God, this psychiatrist annoys the shit out of me. I, I don't like this guy. Oh, he's a horrible man. He just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. No, I don't like him at all. The yeah. casting of this guy yeah. is perfect. Yeah. Because I think he is supposed to be about as compelling as nothing on a piece of whole wheat toast. <laughs> but, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, um, but, you know, to me, and I mentioned this to Paul before we were recording, this first scene, this first moment, what launches this episode, to me, is a direct... This is the picking up the thread for Meadowlands. This is... Yes. You know, this is the, ne- this is the sequel to the episode Meadowlands, where AJ finally realizes uh, in that moment with the wise guy Wink, as you mentioned, Jordan, who his dad is. Right. And this is this is now the, you know, there's two phases of AJ's life in this show. There's before that re- revelation and there's after. And this is the early steps of after. So this this act, while juvenile and, and whatever, it, it carries certain gravitas because we're led to believe this might be a little, AJ's no genius, but this might be a little out of character for him. He, he's acting out. Thoughts on the beginning of AJ's journey here and where we're going with AJ? Well, in large part, we're dealing with questions about AJ's trajectory, whether or not he could be in important ways like his dad, and also what he knows, how much he knows about what dad does. And when will the fullness of its implications really be revealed to the kid? So interestingly, in this first scene in the church, uh, there's a statue of St. Jude, who's the patron saint of lost causes, not a mistake. Can't be. Mm. Um, wow. And I know that. AJ, when he's running out, he's eighth grade, these dumb conversations these kids have is so funny. The way in which, again, kind of like gangsters, not thieves, not wanting to snitch on each other, not want to get snitched on. Are you going to confess this? And AJ says the following, I'm going to tell them I stole something, not what. And yeah. I thought to myself, well, he's got his dad's knack for half-truths and op- and distortions, yeah, right? Sure. So that's happening right away. And, the yeah, the way the story is done is brilliant. When they're in that office, mm. that uh, line about the affront to the Holy Sacristy, um, that happens. And when the psychiatrist is deconstructing the questions in AJ's behavior, he has trouble following the rules. There's a medium shot on Tony kind of reacting with this funny but sheepish kind of look again like following the rules tony came to this meeting from picking chris up at a construction site where he's teaching the mob son as opposed to his biological son that you don't have to follow the rules we make our own rules Mm. for the purposes of extortion and usury and all the rest and now he has to deal with this very domesticated situation with these like you know furtive glances it's a lot of fun so right from the beginning we're dealing with i think the gravity of, what, of these themes, but it's, again, done in a pretty playful way. So I'm an educator. That's my career choice. I'm predominantly an English and theater teacher, and I've taught middle school. When I tried to think of AJ's life, and if I had AJ as my student, you know, the truth is, and I think a lot of educators would agree with me, there is just a type of middle school boy that is that. I know they put AJ through the full battery of tests to try to get him pro- properly diagnosed, get him the support services that he needs, but there's this prevalent thought in education that we 
unfairly bias ourselves against young men just because they are tend to be more rambunctious, reckless, more annoying. They have a hard time focusing. As Carmela says, you know, he haven't you noticed he picks constantly at the tongue of his shoe. But, you know, sometimes kids just do that and it's not, you know, anything medically wrong with them. And, and Tony keeps referring to it as a, a disease. That's not quite exactly right either. Melfi correctly addresses it, this ADD question, and says, well, you know, it's still a controversial issue. Well, this show was made quite a long time ago, 20 years ago, basically, and uh, it's still a controversial issue as yeah. to what do you do with these kids that are, are diagnosed ADD. I will say this. The diagnoses for ADD are occasionally very flimsy, and we have a tendency to really over-medicate over and over-treat these young men who, yeah. for whom really nothing is wrong. Do you know what it is? And I'm sorry to get on a little bit of a soapbox. No, it's I, just I'm, that, I'm right with you. And it's a it, core conceit of yeah, the episode. It's, it's just that, you know, school and what school considers good behavior is, is not right for everybody, mm. you know? And there are some people that are going to fidget, 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 and there are some people that are going to misbehave and speak out of turn and whatever because not every kid fits into the same hole. You know, you can't categorize everyone the same. When we're sitting with AJ in those therapy sessions with the psychologist and they've shown him the flashcards, it should feel like bullshit because in his case, it is. His only trouble is that AJ is what I refer to as kind of a gray kid. And anyone who's attended school knows what a gray kid is. A gray kid is the kid who's not at the top of the class. He might be even towards the bottom of the class. He doesn't really get your attention often, other than if he's, you know, kind of maybe being annoying, kind of knocking around with his friends or whatever. But you're going to have a million of these kids in your career, and they're not all going to stand out to you. Unfortunately, this gray kid's father is Tony Soprano, mm. and something must be done about him, and it's, it's really unfair to AJ. Yeah. That's a brilliant deconstruction and I'm, I appreciate your sharing your insights from your own work yeah. um, and that was certainly my experience in watching much of this and I, I think I first watched this show when I was 20 and I was always uncomfortable with some aspect of the school psychologist and I think the his gait and the way that he speaks certainly was compelled by the ending we'll come back to we should come back to tony and carmella confronting the guy yeah um but th this concept of the gray kid that you bring up is so compelling too because a question that occurred to me watching this episode and i felt a pretty bleak feeling mm. watching this episode oh, funny yeah. as it is and playful as it is and part of that is certainly this fatalistic perspective that tony takes my son is doomed you are what you are you're born to this shit but I wondered, and I still wonder, and I want to pass it off to you guys, mm. is the scarier property that we don't know what's going to happen. AJ's a kid, and he'll, and he's going to continue to have experiences that will influence him, and he, it doesn't cement him as anything. It's not set in stone. Mm. Because even though it would be scary if it were set in stone, it would relieve Tony of responsibility. Uh, as we do, dismissing knowledge, future knowledge of the series, this episode left me... Oddly enough, hopeful for AJ, but not so much for Tony. Uh, and I'll, we'll, we'll come back to that as we wrap around to the conclusion. I think it's important in this show to note that they've given AJ no specialness at all. Mm. What I mean to say is the young actor that plays AJ is, is wonderful. He's wonderful in the whole series. But I mean to say, just, just look at AJ the character. He's not tall. He's not handsome. He has no physical presence. He has no special abilities. He has no intelligence to speak of. He's not a musical talent. There's no creativity there. They've given him kind of no spark. Uh, and that's what I mean when I say great kid. And I'm not saying that you have to be an all-star student athlete to yeah. succeed in this life, but 
um, we're kind of wondering what his future is going to be like because I think all of us know that person and we all feel for that person. The only thing AJ has going on for him is that people know that his father is Tony Soprano and I can't imagine anything worse. Oof. Oh, heartbreaking. I mean, that it's weird. I think back on these early episodes of the show and AJ's just such a, he's a cute kid and, and um, I, you know, God, it's just this, this, this really doing this podcast and analyzing what he must be going through in all this. It's just, just gut-wrenching. Let's get into this next dinner scene. This is uh, one of many around-the-table dinner scenes uh, we're going to get in we the are, show. We are three Italian boys, and we've all attended this dinner oh, many times yes. in our lives. Oh, uh, God, do um, Mitchell Burgess and Robin Green just nail this. I mean, this scene is funny. It's dynamic. It's interesting. It You feel like you're at that dinner table. God, I mean, the, 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 the banter between Livia, the crosstalk... Carmela disciplining AJ while Junior's like, oh, he yells at me like a miserable, you know. I appreciate uh, <laughs> so much that Lydia and Junior basically take AJ's side because yeah. they're, they're kind of used to this rambunctiousness from the old days. This is the kind of thing that used to get a pass, not the kind of thing you got dragged to the psychologist's office over. Oh, I can imagine what, I mean, Junior doesn't have any kids. I can imagine what Corrado Soprano would say if you told him his kid had ADD. Right, yeah. I mean, God, he'd, he'd be lucky if he didn't fucking smack you. Right, he'd flush your diagnosis down the pichadul. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, <laughs> No, absolutely. That's a great point, Jordan. That there's there is this kind of kinship with old and young, and in, in this in this moment, and uh, you know that they take a side, and, and of course, Livia's assessment that it's a crime to suspend him with the money you pay the school. Um, you know, of course, that is is a factor there. Um, the uh, th- this is another thing that The Sopranos does brilliantly. They're doing it here. They will do it many times again. Nobody's right. Mm-hmm. Nobody's r- nobody nobody has a sustainable position. The bland morality that Tony and Carmela are throwing at AJ obviously falls flat. Mm-hmm. And AJ, who's not nearly as adventurous or smart-alecky in this particular way as Meadow, even he can't resist. Oh, when yeah. Tony says, I don't condone stealing, he's like, yeah, right. Get to it. Get. By the way, that moment, it seems like it's going to be a scream moment. Watch that cut to Gandolfini. The look on his face will break your heart. Mm. When the, the, the dad realizes that his son knows knows something and Gandolfini just sits back in the chair in the middle of this scene that is so funny and it's brilliant Mm -hmm. um so I just wanted to call that out but but also that they so they might be in this difficult position of parenting but what are you going to do revert to to Junior's laissez-faire boys will be boys like oh we can't no that doesn't sound right yeah um and uh but and so maybe into that vacuum comes the what Tony is searching for in these flashbacks Jordan mentioned something about AJ not having this specialness, and it's really interesting because I do think there's something to being an Italian guy's son, a wise guy's son, that carries a certain amount of import just in and of itself. Um, as he, again, we're digging here, and Melfi at one point reaches a crossroads saying, I'm not sure what comes next or what you should do, and Tony pushes her to dig. You want to raise so we can figure this out. Yeah, which is a great staying on that uh, scene. And Tony is searching for some help, some guide in this academic world that he doesn't quite understand, that has sort of always eluded him and is certainly eluding AJ as well. And if you ask me, I don't think Carmelo is probably a very good student either. There's, There's a reference later in the episode that, you know, Carmella considers this Tony's fault, that AJ's failings are Tony's failings. That is, it is genetic. In some way, that conversation that is, yeah, and and he brings up Meadow immediately. Meadow, who is an honor student, all these uh, awards, uh, you know, star choir soloist, 
uh, you know, and says, what is, is, is he, is she solely a, a, a creation of yours? Isn't that my child too? Yeah. But yet he does internalize uh, Carmela's criticism and he's looking for help from Melfi to try to make it right. It's really cruel of Carmela, I think, mm. to lay AJ's problems at Tony's feet. They aren't his fault, but in a way they are too. It's again what Paul kind of says often about this show. There's no right here. They're all yeah. right and they're all wrong in the same way that everyone on this show is two people. There are very few arguments between Tony and Carmela on this show that I will side with Tony. This is one of them that I lean more Tony because, I don't know, something about the way she blames him for this is just... And, and he makes, like you said, Jordan, he makes a great point. How do you account for the difference between these two kids? AJ, whereas AJ is a gray kid, as yeah. you said, and I've never heard that term before. I think that's very interesting. Meadow is special in almost every way. Right. You know, good looking, very talented, all kinds of extracurriculars, great grades. She, in every way, AJ flounders. She succeeds. And who's to who's to account for that? Tony and Carmela, they're, they're socially smart people. Um, but they're not like book smart. They don't, you know, Tony wasn't in the choir, you know? <laughs> so right. how do you account for the difference between these two kids? Is it, is it the boy thing? Is it? We've spoken often about how Meadow is kind of separate from the family, not just in her name, but in her manner. I mean, of course she's a soprano and she's very much a part of them, but, um, she is like part of Tony's dream to get something pure that is not family mob related. Mm. And I think that that ties in, too. I mean, genetically, I think, yes, there's that conversation we can have about how they're all sort of corrupted by Tony's genes. And we'll talk more about that as we get to the flashback sequence later. But, um, yeah, uh, Carmela just makes this really unfair judgment against Tony that, that AJ is somehow genetically his fault and that Meadow is, what, some kind of anomaly that neither of them can take credit for, that solely she can take credit for? It's not fair. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, and it's interesting that that comes up. And as you say, though Tony internalizes it, He's digging a bit with her, and I think the episode, again, is digging into the past and some of the things that, how the past has informed the present. And he says to her, I think one of the lines is, you blame me, don't you? And yet, when Tony digs more and more into his own past, what he'll find is, in fact, a dad who, at least in the, his own remembrance, had some dreams of getting out, doing something different, moving away. It was the mother who brought things down so that so this feminine mystique will possibly turn dark in mm. this episode it's another bleak feeling about it yeah god so let's let's progress here I, i'm not generally a fan of the chronological approach but in episodes like this where you don't have a plot b plot c plot kind of makes sense to me to just kind of go a little bit beat by beat here uh i love the way well first of all all right let's talk about this quick scene here between uh Tony and, and, and Melfi, they kind of follow up a little bit on his declaration of love. Uh, I love the uh, the way he, uh, I don't love in that I personally enjoy it, but dramatically it's interesting. The way he reveals his mistress here to Melfi is an interesting choice. And, uh, it uh, felt so low and gross to me. It yeah. was just like he couldn't have her, so now he's just going to be gross. <laughs> so, I have a mistress, Russian, 24. Exactly. I find it interesting to me it took you this long to mention that you had a girlfriend. You know, he's just, he's just being childish, the smug, immature. The smug, smug. Uh, mockery, yeah. how you doing with it, you know. Oh, God, yeah, After throwing her line back at her, which is something he does all the time, which yeah. has already happened even just seven episodes in, is he will take a direct quote from Melfi and twist it and use it in one of his other social interactions. Here he uses it against her. Mm. 
Yeah, and this is uh, fun because if what we're dealing with is the question of AJ's development, I was like, well, the dad is barely developed. He like responds like a teenager, yeah. doesn't he? Oh, so. God. Uh, so that's a good scene. And then I really, I love, love the way we get into the first flashback because this is always how it happens in real life. You hear something or you see something or you smell something. Dun, 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 yeah, dun, the Jefferson Airplane, White dun, Rabbit dun, starts dun. playing. Uh, after that, by the way, I got to give a shout out. Now, this is not a subject. I, <laughs> this is not something you hear a lot of people talk about. But the sound design in this scene is incredibly good. The family arguing while Tony's waking up is so mm. fucking funny. The shit they're saying, the music, uh, it's it's great. It's yeah. like they're driving him crazy a little bit, like oh, Olivia said. Yeah. You're driving me crazy. <laughs> uh, and he gets up, goes into the, uh, starts unscrewing his, looks in the mirror. He's looking at his pills, and then it plays, and we're we're playing catch with Uncle June. Initial impressions of of you know everything here, guys. I mean, we talked a little. We we started with how charmed we were by the flashbacks, but here we go. Let's get into it. So first, I just want to acknowledge some parallels. Um, the first being that. Tony, as a young man, perhaps around AJ's age in 1967, is not really a remarkable young man. Mm. He, too, is not an athlete, not smart, not really anything in any way. He seems to go largely unnoticed by everyone except for his mother, who is very annoyed by him. He is the middle child. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, um, yeah, so th there's that sadness and that parallel with AJ. Also very smart writers here. He does not have good father-son memories in these flashbacks. There's no touching moments. There's no intimate father-son moments. The person he's playing catch with is Junior. Mm. And that's the most father-son thing that happens in these flashbacks, is kept playing catch with Junior. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that he misses the, the, the pitch and Junior's like, heads up! You know, he's frustrated with Tony's athletic uh, performance. It's not the first or last time we'll hear of that. Uh, Paul, any first thoughts on, on just this, the introduction to Tony's youth uh, and the world he grew up in? The parallels Jordan set up are perfect. Yeah. So all I can do is give a shout out to something that we'll continue to track, which is so many different great sound cues. The musical cues on The Sopranos are second to none. Yeah. Um, a lot of that, I think, starts here. The white rabbit imagery, the the repeated line at the end of that song is feed your head. Mm -hmm. And how are you going to do it and what are you going to feed it with is, I think, the lingering question. And throughout this, there's so many of these great cues. The Rascals are a Jersey band. There's, one, there's a song, I believe by the Animals, called Don't Bring Me Down, that plays when Tony sees his dad beating up Rocco Alator, um, which, like AJ's revelation to Livia, happens by a fluke. Yeah. By accident. I missed the bus. I saw that dad was shaking, was beating this guy up because he owed him money. But that song is not about two guys fighting over mob stuff. That song, Don't Bring Me Down, is about a, is a lover's lament. A guy saying to his lover, they seem to have like a, a roller coaster relationship, wild passion, but she plays these psychological games with him and brings him down. Is what's happening here a bit of a forward to we keep digging? The rock we're going to hit is not the dad's gangsterism, but the mom's emotional brutality. Because oh, yeah. that's, that's an, important, it's an important thread in this whole season and certainly in this episode. Well, Paul, that's, that's the crux. I mean, I didn't know if we were going to get to it later in our conversation, but we might as well get to it now. I mean, the, the big treat of this episode, which is also an, a nasty surprise, but something we've suspected for seven episodes now, is that genetically Tony's both of his parents. He is the gangster that his father was. He's a lover of a good time. He is a... A womanizer. His father, we see, by the way, is, you know, as, as folk hero and handsome that he is, you know, he's not too bright, 
Mm. He has a dream that she will crush, you know? Um, So we see a lot of Tony in Johnny Boy, or a lot of Johnny Boy and Tony, vice versa. But the darkness in Tony, the real gangsterism, the manipulativeness, all of that real darkness comes from Livia. It comes from his mother. Uh, The quote that you used at the intro, had you been born after these feminists, you would have been the real gangster. It's her. All, yeah. all of his manipulation. If we were to, be- if we are to believe that these things are genetic, in the same way that AJ has inherited some of Tony's things that are not so nice, Tony has taken the worst of his parents in many ways. Okay, we could say it's a good thing that he's taken some of his father's appetites and his love of a good time. But his father's love of a good time caused him to be mostly negligent to his family, at least as far as we can tell from these flashbacks. And he's taken the worst aspects of his mother, who may have not had much good to offer in the first place, but. He is lethal, he is dark, he is manipulative, and he learns usually the worst lesson from others. So his low cunning oh, and his cleverness so... all comes from Lydia. He learns the worst lessons from others. That's so true of Tony. In many, from anybody he learns from, we see it with Melfi all the time, and he mirrors that here. That's so true, Jordan. When Melfi mentions something about Tony making his living, the parallel, of course, with his realizing these things about his father and AJ knowing gradually more and more about him, Tony deflects. It's not a rousing thing that Tony deflects. We kind of could see that, and we understand why he does it and how he does it. So the question is, the I think the juice will be how he does it. And how he does it in that scene is he says, don't give me all this about legitimate business. What about chemical companies and babies turning up with all these deform? <laughs> and I wrote down, that deflection is Livia-esque. Oh, yeah. And again, are we getting a forward here that, as Jordan just brilliantly pointed out... Yeah, you're always with the babies out the windows. Right. There's a baby in a window in the flashbacks. It's only for a second. But I was like, I see you when I was watching this. But as Jordan (laughs) pointed out, we're pulling from both of the parents here for sure. God, and they thought of that. They had to think of that, that little detail, because the show wasn't airing before they filmed it. That's so... God, this show impresses me every time. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the interesting things here, uh, one of the reasons I feel more hopeful for for AJ than Tony is, one, yes, Tony had to live with Livia. That's a big one. <laughs> um, but two, uh, Tony's revelation in this episode about his dad is um, much more brutal than AJ's revelation. As, as sad as I feel for AJ and as heartbroken as we were by his journey in Meadowlands... You know, how he found out is a lot different than seeing your father whack the, sh- as he says, whack the shit out of some guy. You know, uh, so I, I, I think, like, that was a big moment for Tony. And when he confronts Livia later and she remembers certain details differently, I buy Tony, even though it's, it's, we're talking about it's stylized and it's heightened and there's, there's all these different color, there's all this color to it. I buy Tony's details i i believe him because this was a much bigger deal in this period of his life was a much bigger deal to him than it was for livia so it left its mark on him Mm, i think she knows it wasn't good for him though part of aj's punishment while he's grounded for what happened at school is that he has to go visit grandma he has to visit livia uh you know in in the nursing home and um, certainly punishment enough. I don't think they needed to take his TV away. Too. Yeah, right. <laughs> he makes he makes the worst slip you could possibly make to the oh, worst to the worst person. Oh, this is the f- most fundamentally important plot detail in this episode, as yeah. we will come to find out. Uh, you know, he he lets it slip that his dad's in therapy, and he Huge. L- he lets it known be known to her under no uncertain terms that he has not made a mistake. He knows that his dad's going to therapy, 
And, you know, the first reaction that she has to this is not like, oh my god, he can't reveal too much, the family, the family. It's, he goes there to talk about his mother. Narcissism. It's the narcissism, and it's that she reflects on her life and his life and their shared life together in the same way. She knows that there are problems there yeah. that he has to talk about. And that's the thing, though. It's the incredible narcissism, but also he is talking about her a lot. She's not wrong. Yeah. Oh, well, yes. Yeah. Even but though it's all nonsense. What, what I'm saying is it's just a racket for the Jews. <laughs> Again, oh she God. doesn't know how right or wrong she is. Right. Tony got the names of two other Jewish doctors, oh my but God, the call is so coming funny. from inside the house. He's, he's spilling his guts to a paisan. Oof. Yeah, what, what I'm saying is, and, and Paul's totally right here, uh, she doesn't know, maybe she does, she, she must know how right she is, maybe she doesn't know how right she is. All of his problems really do trace back to her in so many ways. So she really ultimately is the reason he's in therapy. And the fact that that occurs to her first blows my mind. Mm. That she has a better understanding of the fundaments of their relationship than maybe he does. Oof. Interesting. Do you think Melfi is on to the on to Tony's mother at, at this point? That how how I mean I, because patients in therapy are forced to come to their own revelations. Well, I think in this episode when he finally describes what she was like to grow up with, I think Melfi yeah. is able to get a clearer picture of just what a negative force Livia has been in his life. Mm. And he do, and she doesn't buy his uh, glossing it over. Yeah, when she says, "I could in the memory." she could stick this fork in his eye. She wasn't going to do it. Melfi's <laughs> reaction is priceless. Yeah. Um, however, we are seeing horrified. something... <laughs> Sopranos does a slow burn very well. The last memory does not get deconstructed in therapy. The last memory gets deconstructed with Livia. Ooh. Um, so we're... But, we're, but I, I believe Jordan is right that we are churning up here. David Chase, apparently one of the early thoughts about The Sopranos was that it would be a feature. Um, maybe like more European style intimate mob story, but about the gangster and therapy. And David Chase saw the two hour film as essentially what happens is, is that the therapist convinces the gangster that his mother is his enemy. Instead, what Chase did is over the course of the first season, Melfi is helping Tony realize these elements. This is the midpoint episode of the season, yeah. and things are starting. It's, it's slowly, it's a turning gyre, but it's happening. Olivia has made more moves against Tony than Junior has. <laughs> really, <laughs> using ironically using Junior to her to meet her ends to, to needle him and annoy at him. But but you know it's definitely there's definitely it's obvious now that that Livia um, is not to those new to the show. It, it it has to be getting obvious by this point that Livia is not just the funny annoying mom character that there's a lot more going on here and that she was instrumental in shaping who tony is how he interacts with the world his well, she, issues with women she plays a role i'm just a housewife yeah. i'm just an old lady you know but that viciousness is just right there mm. yeah and speaking of deflections it's a classic one i don't know if it's something that we've heard or we're gonna hear a lot of but when tony confronts her with that at the end she says her signature line i don't know what you're talking about yeah but also, to that point, as Jordan was noting about what he's pulled from both parents, in fact, this is another brilliant uh, scene, the way Gandolfini plays it as Tony. Though he's, in some way, pointing the finger, an accusatory viewpoint at Livia, he's impressed, isn't he? There's like a smile on his face, like, I gotta hand it to you, Ma. Like, you are ruthless. I think he's actually intrigued, in a way. Yeah. Um... And it's a, it's another interesting place that the show's going. It gets, again, like, 
even more bleak. Again, something that I see in this episode is Tony very much enveloped in the domestic. Um, very often the gangster family and the bio biological family, there's like a work-life balance kind of thing. But in this case, things bleed right into one another. Tony is so preoccupied with the dad role, taking care of AJ, I want to take care of this kid, I don't condone that stuff. He doesn't even realize that he's alienated Junior by yelling at him. Mm. He forgot for just a moment how sensitive Junior is. Yeah. And how you can't, like, so heads up, Tony, because um, this is going to get worse, as, as we see from the fact that Livia doesn't tell Junior, not just yet. It's not for lack of trying. This oh, might shit. this might not be a great place for this conversation, but it, we could bring it up in the in the you know in the soup here. What does Junior think his relationship with Tony is? Does he see himself as a surrogate father? Does he see himself in that role that he's able to say what he wants at the table and not be reprimanded like that? Hmm, that's a great question. How does Junior see his relationship with Tony? Uh, I I think Junior's there with Tony on on a lot of that. I mean, uh, one of the first things we hear Junior say to Tony in the series is when a business decision is going against Junior. He says, how many fucking hours did I spend playing catch with you? I think uh, there's, yeah. Junior believes in Tony's potential. He actually says it again in our previous episode, Pac Soprano, when they're at the ball game. He Mm -hmm. says to him, you know, you you had potential, but you didn't want it enough. Mm. You know, and Tony says, I barely hit 250. And he said, well, Junior says, well, it's because you're too busy chasing skirt. Chasing skirt, you were uh, 500, you know. But, But Junior believed Tony has something. He has specialness in him. Maybe Junior was the only one that saw specialness in Tony. Mm. I think that is in there in their relationship. And I think Junior gets so hurt because Tony's the only one that can hurt him like that. Right. As you said, Jordan, the only person showing you, you know, uh, the the only interactions we see Tony, young Tony, having with his parents are sneaking into the car and getting like a little bit of, you know, Anthony, stay here and behave kind of talk his from his dad. His seem to hate him, and His honestly. mom is just annoyed that he wants an electric organ, you know? <laughs> they, but, but Junior, like you said, is playing catch with him. Junior is, is the, the fatherly force there. Yeah, we have to get to this. Corrado Junior Soprano does not have children. I think, I think he sees Tony as his son, I think, basically. Mm. I think that's why we get that catch scene. And I think that's where we feel this absence the button on this episode, we'll talk about it later, is that ice cream scene with AJ, which is a, a wonderful scene. There's no scene like that between Johnny Boy and Tony in this episode. You yeah. know, there's no fond recollection of the father because his father was just passing through his life, it seems. Yeah. It's a good, it's a great point. I think there's a lot of alienation in a lot of these relationships. And these characters, at some level, maybe particularly Tony and AJ, but I think to some degree all of them, are trying to dig and figure out some things about their life. Their denial systems constantly get in the way. Livia's is the most fun in a way and the most apparent, as Jordan pointed out, that immediately she says about Tony's therapy, he goes there to talk about his mother. Junior, again, can't deal with being snapped at at the dinner table. AJ is pulled in 10,000 different directions, And though not as bad as Livia, I'm going to take Tony and Carmela to task for the last scene at the school. For this reason. The the school psychologist can be as dull as he wants. The theory of the case can be as bland. Tony and Carmela shirk it off, I think, because they don't want to deal with how it reflects on them. Hmm. I think that's the key, and that's why this is not going to progress well. That's such an interesting read, Paul, because I, anytime I watch that scene, I like, yeah, 
I agree with them fully. It's like I do, I, I do think ADD is overdiagnosed. And... I generally agree too. The celebration is premature. Mm, I think I that's that. what we're dealing with. Yeah, I can actually get into some trouble for saying it, but I, I don't care. It is it is what I believe, and I would repeat this to an administrator. Um, I think it is kind of a racket. I think these these drug companies that make the treatment pills often treat kids that don't need it. That said, there are kids that need those services sure. and need that medication, but I think a lot of folks that have gotten into child psychology just proceed forward unnecessarily because the parents want results, the teachers want results, and they don't always act in what's in best interest for the child. Here, I think Carmela and Tony do. They are not respectful in the manner that they do it, and I think things would have been different if AJ had qualified for six of those things instead of just five yeah. and actually been diagnosed with ADD. But I, I agree with you, Chris. I think, I think they're correct to kind of blow him off in this scene, but I also agree with Paul. It's more about how it reflects on them than right. how it is with AJ. Well, and, uh, and so if you, if you take this imagery, we're going into therapy or you're digging or trying to figure things out about yourself, but then if pulling away from it after a certain amount of exposure, you go back into your denial system, well, it's not unlike having a nice vigorous workout mm. and then going upstairs and mm. popping open the, the cabinet and getting a sundae with fucking everything on it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's God, very, I love that scene. It's a great, great scene. scene. Let's talk about it. We're, we're basically at the end here. Oh, okay, great. I would love to talk about the ice cream uh, scene. Um, to me, it's, it, it suggests a lot of things. For one thing, it's just a pleasant scene. It's just well acted. It's well done. It's sensitive. It's it's touching. It's sweet. And it's one of the reasons that I, I, I you know, it's ominous for Tony to me because, like you just mentioned, Paul, it, 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 it like... Like raising these kids are going to be sometimes for Tony and Carmela. It's one step forward, one step back. He just gets out of a workout and then makes the biggest fucking Sunday you can imagine. That's yeah. not by accident. No, that's very smart. Um, and also something, but 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 an, uh, one thing to take away for AJ uh, that I think is important and wording, you know, these writers know what the hell they're doing. When Tony, as a child, says it's not fair in the argument with his mother, she threatens to stab him in the eye with a fork. When AJ says that he gets a Sunday. Yeah, Tony agrees with them. Yeah, it's not yeah. fair. You got that right. Yeah. Um, uh, so, are Tony and Carmela good parents? Let's maybe we need to reserve that judgment uh, and as we get through more of this. But I, I don't think at this point it looks like AJ is going to end up as bad, at least as bad as Tony. I agree with your assessment. Also, I just want to say, as much as I loved those flashbacks, I had forgotten about this ice cream scene until I rewatched it, and actually, it made me very emotional watching the ice cream scene. Sure, these geese are getting emotional. I, I feel the same way. It's a, it's a good scene. So I think, um, you know, food is a love language for the Italians. Yeah. Uh, we communicate a lot through food, through making big dinners, but also through dessert. And I think, you know, having ice cream with your dad is such a loving thing. I, I hope everyone has gotten to experience that. But in a way, Tony is also giving the ice cream to the little boy that was himself. You know, this mm -hmm. is like the missing scene that we did not get to see with Johnny Boy. It's almost like Tony's making it right for all time with this ending scene. It's a, that's a great way to look at it, and I appreciate it. You made me tear up even saying that, Jordan. That's really sweet. And I appreciate your perspective on it, Chris, with uh, the imagery. I hadn't thought of that, but it's not fair, and then he gets the ice cream as opposed to the threat of getting the fork in the eye. <laughs> um, it also was touching to me. I I've struggled with, with clinical depression. Let me just tell anybody who's listening, the worst thing in my experience about depression is that it can rob you of pleasure in life. 
the things that you used to love, the hobbies, spending time with friends, everything sort of turns to mush because your brain is in this difficult place. And so when AJ says he's depressed and Tony says, nah, you're just sad and you're angry because of this. So also the, the comfort food factor, like reminding AJ, you can still have joy in your life. Um, it, it was touching to me and it does relate to him perhaps comforting that inner child. So yeah, the, the, there was something weird, ominous. Um, Tony's watching, he likes history, the History Channel. He's watching something on the Battle of Midway yeah. um, beforehand. But yeah, there was something very sweet about well, this well, ending. I mean, and AJ is studying history and government upstairs. Like, like, That's what he's doing. Like, like, Jordan's, <laughs> you know, like Jordan said, he's, he's by doing this with AJ, he's, he's sort of trying to fix something that was broken a long time ago. Uh, Melfi says to him at this earlier in this episode, those who don't understand history are doomed to repeat it. And Tony is watching history downstairs and then goes up to change it. It's just a, it's a really powerful, I like profound that. ending. Yeah. Any last thoughts on Down Neck, guys? This is a great episode. Uh, any last thaws or sendaways? I actually want to ask Paul a question live on air because Uh-oh. Paul answered this for me. No, Paul already answered this question for me. Paul, where is Down Neck or what is Down Neck? Uh, so Down Neck, I looked up when I knew we were doing this episode. It's part of Newark, sometimes also called the Ironbound Ironbound, that, that neighborhood. It's, a, I think, a solidly working-class neighborhood where Tony uh, grew up. And it's named that, as I understand it, because the Passaic River going through Newark and that, that angle at which it slopes around the neighborhood looks a bit like a craning neck. Wow. I love that. So I'm going to have to believe that they went for the smartest interpretation or meaning for this title. So we have like a double or a triple entendre going on with Down Neck. It probably does refer to that area. And of course, those are the environs that we're in for the episode. But Down Neck also means the pill that goes down. Mm. Down Neck also means the ice cream that goes down. Down Neck also means something you can choke on. Mm. Wow. Well, all of you out there listening, choke on that. This has been the uh, Sopranos podcast. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Antini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. Thank you for tuning in. I will see you uh, next time for one of my favorite episodes in season one, The Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti. Thank you all. Have a great day. If you like The Sopranos podcast, please follow us on social media. At The Sopranos Podcast on Facebook, Sopranos Podcast on Twitter, and The Sopranos Podcast on Instagram. To email us, hit us up at thesopranospodcast at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you don't want to leave a five-star review, don't leave any review. Thank you for listening to The Sopranos Podcast.